What is up, collective? I'm very excited to do this episode today because I, it's for you guys. Uh, I'm answering uh, two of the most asked questions from you guys, from my listeners. Um, and they were great questions. So thank you guys for DMing me these questions. Um, they've, a couple of them, I think, I th- well, I think. The first one was stemmed from an old episode, and then I think the, I think actually both of them were still, came from old episodes, but I think one of them came from a post that I had just recently posted. So, we're going to get into that. Before we get into that, though, I do want to recommend a book of stories, okay? It's a pretty old book. I am not 100% sure when it was published, but it's by E.M. Foster, and it's called Selected Stories. Um, it's just a, it's a whole book full of stories and, um, they're very interesting. Um, if you're not an avid reader, I don't know that this would be, um, the best book for you, but I will tell you the names of the stories. They're semi-short, short stories. I mean, there are stories that are like probably 10 pages long, but they're pretty interesting. So the first one is the story of panic. The second one is The Other Side of the Hedge. Um, now, I may butcher some of the names of some of this, but whatever, just bear with me. The Celestial Ominous. Explanatory Notes. Other Kingdom. The Curator's Friend. The Machine Stops. The Point of It. Coordination. So it's C O ordination. The story of the siren and the ex- and the eternal moment. That's the last one, the eternal moment. So yeah, Ian Foster selected stories. I will link. I'm pretty sure it's available on Amazon, so I'll link it below. If that sounds like something you guys would be interested in, just look it up. Maybe um, read a sample and see if you guys would like it. I don't think it's very expensive, but um, someone very special to me um, gave me his copy. So. And I have just been, like, obsessed with the book. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you guys check that out. Please, if you do, let me know what you think. Um, like, maybe what's your favorite story. So, let's get into this. The first question is, Nina, how did you settle into the MMA world as a female? That's a great question. I don't know that I ever really settled um, into the MMA world. Uh, definitely felt comfortable in there, if that's what you mean. And interestingly enough, now, if, if, if I would have started now, I would have, I probably would answer this question differently in the fact that it really wouldn't have mattered if I was a female. But I've spoke about my um, connection with MMA and the fighting community. And um, when I first got into mixed martial arts, there was not a lot of females. Matter of fact, there was virtually no females in the gym that I trained at. Now, I did train at a private gym. Uh, Well, I started out at a public gym, and then I moved to a private uh, MMA gym. So it wasn't open to the public, so there wasn't people coming in and out. Um, The only females that really came in there were were me, (laughs) essentially, or clients of mine or, you know, uh, fighters that I was training. So there, there wasn't a lot um a females around so it was very unnerving for me for a long time 
Now, when I started the private gym, there were females taking the classes and stuff, but um, it it was just very rare. It was just very rare. There was there was no Ronda Rousey's. There was no none of that. Um, you know, Gina Gina um, Carana was uh, definitely fighting then. Shout out to her. Um, and she's amazing. Uh, but she could even tell you like this sport of MMA, you know, of mixed martial arts was not a very big platform for women. There just wasn't a lot of women athletes at the time. And it has definitely grown so much (laughs) since then. Um, I have, I have different views about how I feel settled in, if you will, or, or comfortable, I should say, in the world. Um, Again, it was, I was coming from a karate background. That is the only martial arts that I had ever experienced in my life up until that point of walking in an MMA gym. And I guess I should really start with where this even came from. Like why, you know, a lot of people ask me like, how did you get into that? That's the number one question people always ask me is how did you get into this? And honestly, I, I've been watching UFC fights for years before I ever started training and yeah, I was a fan, absolutely, but more so I am a, an active person. You know, I'm an active person. I played soccer from the ages of five until 15, and I uh, played basketball. I ran track. You know, I played volleyball for a short amount of time. I was a cheerleader for, like, my, I think my ninth and tenth grade years. I hated it, so um, I'm not a cheerleader at all. <laughs> Um, or at least I wasn't then, uh, and I was very much interested in boys, so I just really didn't care about, yeah, anyway. Um, but I've always been active, and, uh, at the point of me going into the MMA gym, I had a very extensive yoga background. I had been practicing yoga for over a decade, and, you know, really practicing it. And also teaching it for quite some time at this point. And I realized that something was missing in my exercise routine, if you will. Or um, something that would help my mental health even more. And yoga was, was great for me. It, it gave me a lot of insight into my, into my body and, and my willpower to stretch even more, even through the pain and um, you know, it made me very strong physically and mentally because I always say yoga is like 75% mental, but if not 85% mental, but I still had aggression. I still had a lot of pent up frustration inside me that I wasn't able to release in yoga, no matter how much I tried, no matter how many times I would meditate or, and even, even then, even before I started martial arts, meditation was very challenging for me. Um, and the yoga classes that I was doing at the time were flow classes. I was, you know, I wasn't doing any kind of restorative or light, you know, like a yin yoga where you would stay in a posture for two minutes at a time or four minutes at a time. I couldn't handle those classes. They were too quiet minded for me. I, I needed to go in and out of the postures and have music in the background and, and have, you know, and then 
shavasana, which is corpse pose at the end of a yoga class is you're just laying there. And it was so challenging for me. So challenging for me. I could not let things go. Um, no matter how I tried. And I really tried. Because I know some people say that they, they try and they don't. They're not really trying. I really tried. I really tried. As a matter of fact, before I got yoga uh, teacher certified, I did the teacher training for two years. Most 200-hour yoga teacher training takes six months. And I really wanted to make sure, and I had been, and I had been practicing yoga for years before I went into teacher training, but I had, I wanted to make sure before I taught the public that I, I knew everything backwards and forwards. And, you know, like I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't, or that I was being the best teacher that I could be or instructor that I could be. But also too, I was my first student, you know, um, along the way. But it was just like, it just seemed like I wasn't in balance. I needed something to counteract the, the what I wasn't getting from yoga, from my yoga practice. Um, and it was just all this aggression that I, I had no way to release. Um, yoga is great. Don't get me wrong. It is very much a releasing um, practice, if you will. But it for me, I, I just, it wasn't enough. So the story basically is, and I'll make this short because I've already told this story, but I was at home and I was just watching TV, oddly enough, and a commercial came on for an MMA gym. And that was it. That was really it. It, um, And I had heard of this gym um, after I had moved to Colorado. I'd heard of this gym and it's a pretty famous gym. Um, But I didn't, you know, I wasn't actively trying to pursue it if you will I I knew that I missed doing martial arts because I loved it when I was a kid but I just wasn't old enough to be disciplined to stick with it but um so yeah that's all it took it was just it was like a sign when I needed it I was kind of in a weird headspace that night anyway um so it was just like what I needed it was literally like a sign it really was as woo as that sounds um so yeah the next day I signed up I signed up and it's so funny I this (laughs) the first day that I went there I was an hour early for the jujitsu or for the Muay Thai class because I was just going to take Muay Thai and I was an hour early and so the jujitsu class was starting and uh you know they asked me do you do you want to take jujitsu too I had never done jujitsu never and I mean, I knew what it was, obviously, because I watched fights and stuff, and I watched Pride and uh, Glory and stuff. So I was I was aware of what these things were. I just had never done Muay Thai or, uh, well, actually, no, that's not true. I had actually done Muay Thai in Alabama before we moved to Colorado. I had um, started at a gym there, but it was it wasn't the great the, the coach there wasn't the greatest. Um, so I had a small understanding of what Muay Thai was uh, from training in Alabama and watching the fights, but I really wasn't prepared, okay? And so I was like, yeah, I'll take the jiu-jitsu class. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys ever done jiu-jitsu, but the jiu-jitsu warm-ups are no joke. They're no joke. 
Matter of fact, when I was done with the warm-ups, I was like, they were like, all right, let's, let's get ready to, you know, roll or whatever. I'm like, what? Like, I thought that, <laughs> I thought that was it. Like, the warm-ups were the class, but no, they were just warm-ups. And they will kill you. <laughs> they will kill you. So, this is a side note. If any of you guys do not train martial arts, especially jiu-jitsu, and you're one of those assholes that boos UFC fights when they go to the ground because you don't think they're quote unquote not working. Um, they are, and you need to go take a jujitsu class because you have no idea what you're talking about. It is not, I mean, no, it's definitely maybe not as exciting to watch as, you know, people throwing punches, but it's, trust me. Um, so yeah, so I took the jujitsu class, was dead <laughs> after it, and then did another hour and a half of Muay Thai. So my first night there, I was, I just, I couldn't even like walk the next day. So yeah, I, I loved it though. That's the thing. To answer your question, (laughs) I fell in love and we all know we can all resonate with that, right? When we fall in love with something or someone, it, we just want to keep being around that person, we just keep want, we want to keep doing that thing, and we never we don't want to stop. We don't even we can't even fathom stopping. And so I was determined to settle in or be comfortable in that world, regardless if I was a female or not, because it was it was a magical time for me. It really was. I've never experienced anything like that, as far as like touching me mentally. Um, and I, and I've said this many times on this podcast, how it's changed me in my confidence and for a woman, especially confidence is everything. It, it, when you have true confidence, insecurities and low self-esteem, they're just not welcome in your life anymore. You don't allow it. So it changes everything. It changes your relationship with other people, with your romantic partners, with your children, and especially with yourself. And you walk around the world, you know, not shielding yourself from opportunities either. You, you tend to have your head held high more. And it's and it's real. It's authentic. It's not fake confidence, you know. So um, it was just a natural progression. Uh, I had been in the world for almost two decades And I can honestly say there's not been one time that I've stepped into any of the MMA gyms that I've either worked in or trained in where I didn't have a good day or I regretted going there. And you hear this all the time with people when they say, when they work out, you know, they didn't want to go to the gym, but then when they went to the gym, they they never regret going to the gym, right? And it's absolutely true. Um, And that's, that's where it is. I mean, I... There was no other choice but me, but for me to settle in. There was no other choice but for me to be comfortable in this area, you know, with this community because I loved it. I loved it. And I have been so blessed to have worked with and trained with some of the best in the business. Um, and I will be forever grateful <laughs> to be around those people and be mentored by those people and for those people to hold tie pads for me. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, if you're not in the community, you may not, but like 
if you're into Muay Thai, kicking pads is probably everybody's favorite thing to do. But nobody wants to ever hold die pads. <laughs> so it's it's an honor when someone of somebody's caliber will hold pads for you. It really is. It's an honor. Um, so you guys are probably hearing my voice. I mean, I it is just, uh, I will never regret stepping into that gym. I, I never will. And um, I'm actually trying to make my way back there. I've, I've taken, I, I kind of retired from it a little bit um, as far as as far as teaching it goes and training it really because I've had some health stuff. But I miss it every day. I think about it every day. Matter of fact, it's so funny. I, uh, <laughs> I was on the treadmill uh, yesterday and at at the gym, and I. I'll sometimes kick the speed down really low and I'll shadow box uh, while I'm on the treadmill. And I had this girl come to me. She's like, she's like, how do you do that? And I not fall off the treadmill. <laughs> and I was like, it takes years and years and years and years of practice, honestly. And you just can't go too fast, you know. Uh, but it's it's a good it's good for focus and keeping the your footwork, keeping you moving. Because a lot of times people when they shadow box, they just stand still. Um, and it's really good to, for your footwork to practice moving around while you're shadow boxing because it's simulating a fight and you're not going to ever really stand still in a fight. You're going to move around, you know? So yeah. So I hope that answers your question. (laughs) Um, let me see. What was the other one? Okay. This is a completely different topic. Um, somebody says, can you talk more about your stressful living situations? Yes, I've had a few. <laughs> um, some of them I wouldn't necessarily call them stressful other than f- a little scary. And not in like a, a bad neighborhood type of way, but like um, out of my comfort zone. Um, I'll talk about the first one. I uh, lived in deep in the mountains of Colorado for three, four years maybe five years, something like that, in a very big house, beautiful house. Um, I have some pictures circulating somewhere online of uh, the living room where I used to do yoga, but, uh, you know, floor-to-ceiling windows, views of the mountains, like just gorgeous, gorgeous house and area, which sounds great, right? Sounds perfect, but in reality, it is, it's difficult, (laughs) Um, there's a lot of good things, good sides to it, but when you work not up in the mountains and you work downtown, you know, down in the town and it takes you an hour to an hour and 45 minutes to get to work because that's, my gym was, you know, an hour, hour and 45 minutes from the house. So, um, you know, and in Colorado in the winter time, it's pretty challenging to get down the hill and down the mountain to civilization. Um, So it was challenging. I mean, uh, I definitely did not, I was not raised on, well, I take that back. I was very much tomboy when I was a kid and I loved camping and, you know, climbing trees and, you know, riding my bike. And I always had bruises on my knees. I was like that girl. Um, but as I got older, um, I I became more girly in the sense where I really didn't like bugs anymore. Still don't. 
Um, I didn't like camping anymore. Like I didn't like roughing it. Um, and my son's dad used to always like, you know, cause he grew up in, in Alabama and country boy and, you know, riding dirt bikes and shit, which I did too. I grew up in Alabama too. But like, as I got into my twenties and my third, well, more so my twenties, I just became very girly and didn't want to do any of those things. So when we moved to the mountains, I was definitely in that place, um, and it was rough. I mean, I, we were roughing it. We had a bat come in our house. I think a couple times we had a bat come into the house. Um, all kinds of, like, rodents and uh, bugs, and we had a, a bunny rabbit, a jackrabbit. You know, guys wouldn't know what a jackrabbit is. They're huge. We had one die in the house because we have, it was a big house. It was like 4,200 square feet house. It was a huge house. And in one of our, we had an indoor garden. It like died in the indoor garden. And it's just insane. It's insane. Like I was like heartbroken for like five months over that dead rabbit. Uh, And it was dead. Like it was flattened to the floor. That's how dead it was. It was really disturbingly gross. Um, so yeah, um, we had three dogs, we had three cats. Um, it, it was a, it was something, it was never a dull moment in that house. Um, we used to have this bee or wasp problem. They would get in on the top rafters of the, the floor to ceiling windows. I don't know how they would get in, but they kept coming in. Um, we had a chipmunk in the house one time. We, this is no joke, I woke up on Thanksgiving Day morning one morning and there were turkeys outside of my bedroom door. Because I had a door that went out to like a patio and there were turkeys. Like a whole family of fucking turkeys. Like like three little baby or more. Well, probably like five little babies and a mama and a dad. And I'm like, this is, this is insane that they're here on Thanksgiving. We didn't have turkey that year. I was actually really vegan most of the time that I lived up there. I didn't eat a lot of meat. Um, so, but <laughs> I, it's just weird. There was wolves. There was mountain lions. Uh, when I wasn't living there when this happened, but there's pictures of a black bear coming onto the property I do know when I was living there, a black bear tried to break into one of our vehicles um, because uh, somebody left food in the car or the truck. And then I, you know, I'd wake up to take my son to school and our trash cans would be knocked over because something got into him and dragged it more so a bear. Bears usually are the ones that drag it all the way down the driveway. Um, deer used to come into our driveway all the time. Uh, matter of fact, when I would be outside and I would see a deer in our yard, I actually felt good about it because then I knew that predators weren't around <laughs> because deers do not stay where wolves and mountain lions and bears are. They, they don't have nothing to do with that. So they get away as much as they can. Um, but this was challenging. It was it was a challenging place to live. A lot of arguments happened in that house. Um, my son's dad and I split up in that house for good. Um, it a, a lot of things went on um, that that caused a lot of really bad moments in my life. 
So in that part, it was, you know, it was like a trade-off. Really beautiful house and a really beautiful area, but it's it's got its cons, you know. Um, my son went to a great school. There was a great school um, out there, but it just... It just wasn't for me, you know, and I can say I did it, right? Oh, I lived in the mountains of Colorado. I did it, you know. Uh, would I do it again? Probably not. Um, probably not now. I don't know. Maybe when I've, I'm older and I don't need to leave the house a lot, maybe I would. Uh, but, I mean, even going to the grocery store. There's no grocery stores up there. You know, there's like, uh, <laughs> there's like um, little small stores that you can go to and get like milk and bread and stuff but that's it there's no big grocery store so it's yeah and um we grew potatoes you know we we had food that we grew but in Colorado it's you know there's seven months out of the year where it's it's snowing and then in June sometimes it can hail and it could be like baseball size hail um, so it's, it's really hard to grow food outside. Um, and on our land, we didn't have a lot of flat areas. Matter of fact, where we grew potatoes, it was on a, and a hill. We grew potatoes on a hill. So it was crazy. Um, having to drive up and down the mountain every day to train. Um, it was great. I love what I did for a living, but it's just the, the commute, and I used to drive down this highway called 119, and it it's a two-lane highway. On a one side of the highway is a rock wall that goes up forever and ever. And then on the other side, it is a cliff down into uh, raging water. So, like, it's sketchy. I've seen many accidents on that, on that highway. So, it's a beautiful drive. Um, in, in the, some, in the winter time too. I mean, yes, it's beautiful. It's a little sketch. Um, it's really beautiful in the summertime too. Um, you have to, I had to go through three tunnels every single time I went to work and came back. So going through the tunnel six times, um, you know, it just, it had its, um, yeah, it's, it's had its moments, <laughs> Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm not, I don't regret it. There's not anything really in my life that I really regret necessarily because I'm the type of person when I feel something, I say it, even if it, you know, is you, maybe the other person doesn't feel the same or, or whatever. I, I don't like to hold in things and I don't like to hold on to things, even though I do a lot, I do hold on to things a lot. Um, I don't like to, right? Like I try to move on from things quickly. Um, but I do not regret living in the mountains. I don't, it was beautiful. Um, I remember waking up to, you know, like 10 inches of snow on these, you know, 20 feet tall tree limbs, you know, just like beautiful scenery, um, that, uh, honestly, Colorado is one of my favorite places I've ever lived in my life. It is such a beautiful place. And I've, I've said this before on, on a post, I think. I might have said it in an episode. But Colorado is like home to me. It really is. I don't live there now, but it is, it will always be home. It's where my son is from. It, you know, it's, it will always be my home. Always. It's definitely gone to shit lately. And it makes me really sad, but... 
I think the whole world has kind of gone to shit lately, so it's not surprising to me. Uh, The other situation I'll briefly talk about is I lived on a 42-foot sailboat. uh, No, 45-foot sailboat. Excuse me. A 45-foot sailboat in um, Southern California. And I lived there almost the same amount of time as I did in the mountain house. Um, And... You know, when I tell people, when I lived there and I would tell people that I live on a boat, everybody, everybody would say the same. That is so cool. You know, da, da, da. And yeah, I, I could see that. I could see where it sounds cool. It definitely sounded cool to me at first. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, this is another living situation I do not regret. But it was challenging. <laughs> um, again, because of the whole, you know, I don't really like roughing it. Um, it was like camping all the time, you know. Um, at least in the mountain house, we had, you know, unlimited running hot water and um, a washer and dryer and, you know, things that you use on a daily basis. Um, you don't have that on a boat. So... Now, we lived in a marina, so it wasn't like we lived on a mooring ball in the middle of the ocean. But, so, you know, we, we had our boat connected to power, um, but uh, not water. Um, our I don't remember really what was going on. This boat was, like, from 1972, so, but it was in immaculate shape. Matter of fact, when we came on the boat, because we had spent like two or three days looking at boats. We had a boat broker, so bougie. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know there was a such thing until I went into this. But we had a boat a bro- a, a boat broker, and he was such a bro, too. Like, you know, hey, bro. Um, but he kept showing us these boats that were so tiny. They were so nice. Um, like this Hunter boat. Hunter, I, I believe, is my favorite brand of sailboat. Um, but he kept showing us this, these hunter boats that were like 36 feet and they just were not big enough. I mean, you, some, some parts of the boat you couldn't even stand straight, straight up in. It was awful. So we needed something that was really live aboard, you know, and we just were coming up short. We had seen one thing that maybe, I think it was like a 40 foot boat that maybe it could have been doable, but that's it doable. And, you know, I just don't want to do anything that's doable. You know, like this is my home. So, and if I'm going to live on a boat, I'm already going to be roughing it as it is. Like, you know, I need, I need compromise here. So we went and saw this boat and the owner was, um, on it and he was, a stickler for like how clean his boat was and how good of shape it was. And he's was a lion. I mean, it was in a, in immaculate condition for the year that it is. I mean, the engine room was like sparkling and like the teak wood floors were just, I mean, it was a gorgeous boat. It really was a gorgeous boat and huge. I know 45 feet, does not sound huge to you guys. And when we when we first came up to the boat, it, it is a massive boat because 45 feet is pretty big. But when we walked down in it, I, I was not expecting how big the living quarters was. Like, it is, it had a huge living room. Like, I've never seen anything like it, ever. And it had a huge kitchen and two bedrooms, um, or berths, whatever they're called. And... My bedroom had a closet and its own ensuite bathroom. We had two bathrooms 
and two bedrooms and a kitchen and living room. It was huge. And then two outside areas for seating and stuff. So it was just a humongous boat. Um, so we took it right then and there. I didn't even see a point of looking at anything else because this was perfect. It was in our price range. It was everything, right? So we made the deal. We, we got it. And where it was at, in the marina that it was at, um, there was no liveaboards. Uh, you couldn't live on your boat and have your, your boat docked there. Because so, it was by a, a military base, too. Down in Coronado, which Coronado, California, if you guys have never been there, it's it's in San Diego. It is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to in my life. Um, so anyways, we had to sell our boat over on the other side of the bridge um, to a marina that accepted liveaboards. Um, and, you know, it was great. It was great. For the first year, well, actually the first year it rained almost every single day. It was so funny. We moved to San Diego when there had been like a five-year drought in California. <laughs> like there had been no rain. Matter of fact, there were signs everywhere. Like, you know, watch your water consumption, da-da-da. And then we moved there and it was monsoon season. It literally rained every single day. Every day. And what was a nightmare about living on the boat that we found out, um, the boat had leaks. <laughs> so, I mean, not, you know, detrimental leaks, but annoying leaks and quite a few of them. So while this owner was like, you know, on and on and on about how clean his boat was and how great a shape it was, and it was, we really didn't know about little things that could potentially get worse. Um, and we had some other things happen on the boat that, you know, the owner forgot to mention. Um, uh, but yeah, we, during the rain season, we got a lot of things of ours wet. So that was a nightmare. We ended up having to take on and off a tarp um, because you can't seal the windows when they're wet. If it's raining every single day, you cannot seal the window. So, and I mean, the water was like coming through the tarp somehow too. It was just, it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. And then one day, I don't know, it was like a horrible storm. And it, the boat was rocking so much. And that's another thing that I get asked a lot about living on the boat is like, did you get seasick? Oddly enough... I, when me and my son's dad first got together, he took me to, uh, the Caribbean and we stayed on his dad's sailboat, which was smaller, um, in the middle of the ocean on a mooring ball. And I got so sick, but, and so I was worried about that when we moved, um, onto this boat, I was worried about that, but we were so nestled in our, our boat very, very rarely moved and it was, and it was huge. Our boat was very big, so it didn't really move. And even if it did, we didn't feel it that much. Matter of fact, while I was living there, a earthquake happened, and we didn't even feel it. It was like a, a pretty decent-sized earthquake, too, and we didn't even feel it. And then I started reading that, actually, you are the safest on a boat during an earthquake. So it's crazy. I think that's what I read. Don't quote me on that. But it was like the boat was rocking back and forth. It was making me sick to my stomach. Uh, but for the most part, we were in the middle of the 
the marina and then in the middle of the dock. So we were so nestled in. It was a pain in the ass pain in the ass to leave um because we were so far away from the parking lot but or to go wash our clothes you know that was very stressful because we had to lug you know a a cart like with wheels was your best friend uh it will be your best friend if you decide to live on a boat um because that's how you do everything that's how you bring your groceries to the boat that's how I know that we've dropped toilet paper in the in the ocean and (laughs) like it's a lot it's a lot it's definitely a lot going on but I don't regret it at all it was so healing to wake up every single day and I would go outside and I would watch the sun come up and I don't know if you guys have ever been to southern California and seen the sun rises and sunsets but they're unreal they're unreal I've never seen anything like it in my life matter of fact if you go to the link tree link below and you go to my art instagram or you go to my print shop my art and photography print shop you will see some of the sky photos that i have taken and i'm selling prints by the way of the sunsets in california off of my boat they're unreal um no filters on them either no filters there's and if you go there you i can you can vouch for that there are no there no need for filters um, it was so healing. I got to see sea lions a couple times. One actually scared the crap out of me at like two in the morning. <laughs> I had came home, uh, and it was really late at night and I was out on the boat, just like sitting there watching the moon and stuff. And I heard a, and it scared the crap out of me. And it was a sea lion, like coming up out of the water. It was crazy. Um, but it was so healing. I think that anyone should experience water healing because it is very real. And the ocean is so powerful. And being able to see the reflection of the moonlight on the water is... I mean, seeing it in pictures and videos and stuff is, is great. But seeing it with your own eyes and getting to experiencing that all the time, you know, is just amazing. We we would fish off the boat and, you know, there were so many great times that we had. Um, all of my son's friends at school were, thought he was so cool because he lived on a boat. And so, you know, it, it had definitely a lot of, of great points about it and things that I will never regret in my life. Would I do it again? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe in different circumstances, um, because I have already done it, so I know what to expect, you know. Um, but it was challenging. I mean, we used to have to fill our water tanks once a week. We'd have to pull in the hose and fill our water tanks, and it was, it was just no. We didn't bathe with water with hose water; it would filter out. <laughs> but it was it was challenging. You could only take like a three minute shower, which if you're a girl, that's almost impossible. Uh, but don't worry, girls, there are, if you go to a marina, they do have showers, which I had to use, and they're not gross, especially if you go to a nice marina, and you go at certain times. I used to always go early in the morning, um, but just be prepared. It's work. It is work, um, you know, unless you're on a, you know, million-dollar yacht, maybe that's different, but 
Oh, and then something else I learned that yachts aren't just like those millionaire boats that rappers have. My boat was actually technically considered a yacht. Um, because a couple of our neighbors, which was so cool, we had like this boat community of people and they were so sweet and we would watch out for each other, you know, we'd have cookouts and, uh, matter of fact, the marina that I lived in, there was two music festivals that would come, uh, there. So it was actually a really cool little community. Um, we had a pool and stuff, but, um, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, something that was really cool that happened um, we were like sitting outside talking to a neighbor and, uh, I, and this is no shit. A rocket, a rocket went past the sky, like up in the sky, right above our marina, right in front of us. I could not believe it. And the thing is, there was a, um, a military base not too far from us. Um, because some mornings when I would take my son to school, we'd be walking to the parking lot and we'd be hearing guns. Just like, it was a little scary, but it's because they would be training at the military base. So <laughs> it it sounds kind of ghetto. It's not ghetto at all. It's just military training, but it would be kind of sketchy. You walk into your car and you just hear machine guns and stuff. It's a little crazy, but yeah, I have no idea what I was going to say. Damn it. Oh, well, it must not have been that important. Anyway, I I may I may do it again. Yes, I might. But it would definitely have to be in a different kind of circumstance. Oh, I know what I was going to say. It because it is very very challenging. It is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Um and I know what I would do differently now for sure. Um but you know, you got to lug your clothes to the laundromat and you know, there's just a lot of things that you have to do that you may not be prepared for. Um, so just, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, a, a lot of the people in our community. Oh, yeah, I was talking about them calling it a yacht. Yeah, so apparently anything over a certain size boat is called a yacht. Because our neighbors kept calling our boat a yacht. And I was like, what? We don't have a yacht. Like, <laughs> you know. Anyway, but our neighbors also would tell us. Uh, because, you know, we were, I was a first-time boat owner. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. They would tell us that, you well, you know what boat stands for, right? And we'd be like, no. And they would go, bet on another thousand. Because you're going to have to put in money all the time into the thing. And it's no joke. Matter of fact, right down the street from our marina was like this uh, boat store. I love that damn store. And I don't remember the name of it yet. But they had such cute stuff in there, like sailor type you know shirts and stuff and hats and shoes it was so cute um anyways um so it was it was very it was very stressful at times you know when you just want to kind of throw your clothes in a, in a washing machine and forget about it and not have to it's, it's such an ordeal and we would do it the dumb way where we'd wait like until all of our clothes were dirty <laughs> So we would have, we would literally spend a whole Sunday washing clothes, you know, literally a whole Sunday when you're taking trips back and forth from the laundromat to the boat. And luckily we lived in a marina that had everything. We didn't have to leave, um, to, to, to go wash our clothing and stuff. So it was just, it was a community of people who lived on boats, on sailboats, um, and they were such sweet people. Everybody that we ran into were just really sweet people. So I, and there was a really great restaurant 
um, at our marina. So we would go eat breakfast and, you know, it was a very pleasant time. I, I enjoyed it a lot of the time, but it, it was challenging, but you know what? It, it pushed me to do things that I, I wouldn't necessarily do. And I, to be one of those people who would say, I would never live on a boat. I would never do this, you know, to actually just doing it instead of saying never, I can't, you know, like I used to tell my son all the time, don't say you can't, um, you know, you could say you tried, that's fine, but never say I can't because you can. And I didn't want to show my son that, oh, like we can't live on a boat because we can, and we did for years. I don't know many people who live on boats and definitely don't know many people who live on boats for as long as I did. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, would I advise it? Um, I'll answer for both of the questions. Would I advise a female getting into MMA? It depends on who you are. Mixed martial arts is not for everyone. It's not even men. It's not for every man. It's not for every woman. Um, I would su- I would suggest trying it because you never know, but it isn't for everybody. Um, I do know that I might glamorize it a little bit um, and somebody might go into a gym and it may not be for them and I understand that. but for me it was it was and still will be some of the greatest times of my life. Um, and not just work where I'm working in a heavy bag or I'm teaching. I laughed the hardest I've ever laughed with these people. You know, I fell in love. Um, a lot of things happen. And not just fall in love with the sport. Like, I fell in love with a person. And, you know, so a lot of things happened during those years. And I'm very grateful for them. And the same thing with my living situations. Um, very grateful. Would I suggest anyone living in the mountains of Colorado or on a boat Again, same answer. You know, it just depends on who you are. But if you're doing it because you don't want to work hard and you want everything to be easy, I mean, maybe you should try it. Maybe you should because it will change you. It will change you. Uh, You can't be lazy. (laughs) You can't be lazy on a boat. You just can't. Um, You know, you can have your downtime and stuff, but there's, like, work that's got to be done, you know? So... Yeah, and I would also advise to, if you're going to live in the mountains of Colorado, have a plan, okay? Have a plan for food. Have a plan in case the roads get blocked off because it does happen. Absolutely have a garage. Even if you just live in Colorado, period. Do not live in Colorado and don't have a garage, Even if it's extra, like if you live in an apartment community and it's like extra for a garage, get the, I'm telling you, if you've never been there and you've never lived there, please trust me when I say this, get a garage. Um, And as far as the boat, don't move on the boat with someone that you're not in love with if it's a partner. Uh, I definitely wouldn't advise friends moving on a boat because it's very small quarters, you know, Uh, there's not a lot of space, there's not a lot of privacy. Um... Make sure that you are prepared to have to rough it sometimes. You're, you don't, you're not going, it's not a house. (laughs) So things may come up. I would definitely also advise, this is a a 
thing if you actually do move on a boat. Make sure that you start that engine once a week. So, and the biggest thing, if you're going to live on a sailboat, learn how to sail. Even if you, just like me, oh, I'm just going to stay at the marina. Learn how to sail. It's very important. It's very important. So, well, this was a fun episode. I hope that the answers I gave you guys um, are good enough. Um, this episode's been very long. So, um, thank you for your questions. Thank you for being a supporter. Thank you for listening. Um, because I wouldn't have a podcast if I didn't have people listening to it. So, I love you guys so much. And until next time, ciao.